I'm Agnes Kurtzels. My name is Whitney Winter. And I'm Claire Horning. And you're listening to Ag Knowledge. So today we're going to be talking about some current events that's going on in agriculture. And we're going to be talking a little bit about farm safety. So for current events, I think we're going to start with Bill Gates came out recently that he is now the, what is it, biggest owner of farmland in America, yep. which is really weird to me as he's a really big businessman. I didn't really think about him being in farming, which, you know, to each their own, I guess. I feel like he's more of an investor than taking an active role in it, though. Like, he's definitely probably not, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, like he's not like in charge and making like all the decisions. He probably delegates that work to someone else and is just like the owner of the land. Right. So for those who don't know who Bill Gates is, um, he's a programming person. He he. Entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, he's known for his programming skills, and he's co-founder of the Microsoft Corporation. I'm getting most of my information off of um, agdaily.com and their article, Bill Gates is America's Biggest Owner of Farmland. But he, uh, his estimated net worth is $121 billion. I think he's within the top five richest men in the world, right? Or like at least top 10. I, I would assume so. Yeah. Do, uh, we, do we know what he's planning to do with the land at all or he just owns it? So... He owns uh, 268,985 acres, which is a lot. It's crazy. Like nationwide? Yeah. Okay. Um, most of it is still active farmland. So I'm assuming they have managers hired that are, you know, running their farmland. Mm-hmm. It says that uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has not, rec- has not commented on exactly how the land is going to be used, but their foundation believes in sustainability and economic opportunity. Um, and according to their website, they invest in this sector because the economic growth is that the focus in, on agriculture and that increases the income of smallholder farmers, which particularly effective in reducing poverty and more so in investments in other sectors. I'm assuming they're going to keep a lot of it as farmland if they're into reducing poverty though because you wouldn't develop that because that's not gonna help anyone yeah especially poverty well yeah especially if it's not like near larger towns yeah but the article says that the land reports research insinuates that the land is held directly and also ran by a third-party entity which Makes sense to me. I mean, that's a lot of acres uh-huh. that um, they have. I wouldn't expect you know, to run it personally because yeah. he already has a billion dollar company and charity and foundation and all of that to run. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it also says that uh, the ownership is in 19 states. So like, that how, do we know how much of that is in Nebraska specifically? Yeah, um, it's 20,588 acres. And do we know like where that's at? Uh, no. I just didn't Not know really. if it was, like, over here or more out west panhandle. Well, I know um, the Buffett. Or not Susan Buffett. Yeah, sorry. Warren Buffett. Yeah, Warren Buffett. His... He owns land by Omaha. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's more of the land that's usually up for sale is around bigger cities. That's a a good assumption. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm also, I mean, I don't know, I guess. I guess we'll just have to kind of follow it and see how it develops. Yeah. And see what he, what more he plans to do with it. And then you were going to, what current event were you going to talk about? Also on agdaily.com, Lando Lakes is launching its first farmer-owned carbon program. It's True Carbon. 
Um, it's a new carbon program that will uh, assist farmers to generate and sell carbon credits in a uh, private sector. Can you explain what a carbon credit is? A carbon credit is like a generic term for any tradable certificate or permit representing the right to emit one ton of carbon dioxide or the equivalent amount of any uh, greenhouse gas. And so the program that Land Lakes announced, True Carbon, um, will provide farmers an uh, opportunity to recognize and be rewarded for their effort to be carbon negative by 2023. I mean, 2030. This will be the first secure buying purchase plan. Um, True Carbon is being launched with Microsoft. So program will provide farmers and their agriculture advisors a soil health plan commitment and tools to help them and their business like optimize their field carbon credit potential. If that makes sense. According to the article on Ag Daily titled, Land Lakes launches first farm-owned carbon program, quote, qualifying farmers may be compensated for carbon sequestration reciprocally up to five years based on the soil health health practices they adopted in prior growing seasons, end quote. The program will handle soil testing and other tools so that the farmers don't have to worry too much about being a participant in this program. So I think that will allow farmers an initiative to get into this program. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting how like Bill Gates and I think Jeff Bezos and Amazon just came out with like a climate change promise as well. So I think it's kind of interesting that these large companies are trying to, you know, help mitigate climate change and like push for sustainability yeah i'm really glad i'm glad that people are beginning to actually actively change their habits i think especially like with the covid shutdown and everything we saw that a lot of cities that are used to smog and everything like they cleared up and everybody like like, wow like within like three days of being completely shut down yeah it was so fast yeah and people were like wow, I can see out my front door. I can see the blue skies again. I can see the bridge clearly and it's not an orange haze. And I think it's especially important for those like extremely large companies because I know there's a figure that I think like 100 companies are responsible for like 71% of pollution or something along those lines. And so I just think that it's kind of good that these large companies are recognizing that they also contribute to that and are trying to cut down and encourage others to cut down as well. Well, and that's like, I don't remember, it's a, a car company and they promise to get rid of all or they promise to have electric cars or only be producing electric cars by uh, I think 20... 20- 50, I think. Was it Tesla? No. Tesla is an electric car company. So I, well, like even California, they are trying to um, have only electric vehicles on the road by a certain year. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe it's Ford. I think Ford is trying to get more electric cars, whether they're doing that to all their cars. I'm not sure, but I know they're trying to get into that game. Well, I I think a lot of people are Are trying to... Because it's the future. Yeah. Um, It's going to be hard getting all of that electricity, but at the same time, our other option is (laughs) um, non-renewable resources. So at least we are getting to the point where we're relying more on renewable resources, even just 
protecting the environment a little bit at a time, like I said before, it's going to make a difference and it's going to be a good difference and it's going to take a lot of work to get there, but it's possible. So I guess going along with like climate change and everything. So um, as we know, we have a new president now. So I have an article from the Washington Post called As Biden Vows Monumental Action on Climate Change, a fight with the fossil fuels industry has only just begun. So it's... Oh, it's it's okay. It's, It's Chevy that um, promises to have electric cars by what year? Um, This article doesn't say what year, but maybe they'll get to it when they get to it. <laughs> True. Oh, it says um, a fully electric Chevy pickup would go into production before 2025. Oh, cool. cool. Awesome. Anyway. Yeah, so... um. According to the Washington Post, um, so it's kind of talking about his executive orders to, um, you know, shift everyone away from fossil fuels and kind of adopt renewable energy, including rejoining the Paris Climate Accords and um, putting a stop to the um, Keystone XL pipeline that was supposed to be under construction. He revoked that permit. Um, So obviously... Obviously, some people lost some jobs, but on the other side of that, people did not lose any farmland to that or land at all, period. We also lost the risk of that pipe bursting and possibly, you know, hurting farmland or even the aquifer, which we all depend on for water and irrigation. So, well, especially Nebraska yeah. and the Midwest here. Mm-hmm. We really, really are and dependent it, and yes. known for the aquifer. So if something happened to it, we would be pretty much up the creek without a paddle mm-hmm. um, is the nice way to put it. <laughs> so, um, again, I just think that it's probably a good thing because it's pushing more towards renewable energy and looking towards the future rather than relying on fossil fuels, which, you know, we've been taught since elementary school that we're going to run out of that someday. And it's also hurting the environment as we're using it. So I think for the most part, um, Everyone that I've heard is kind of happy that he's done that and made that executive order. Um, some people are not happy because of the job loss. But I, again, you kind of have to weigh the benefits and costs. It's really tough to do, but it's something you have to do. Other current events. So back in, I believe it was 2019, 2018, when um, the African swine fever uh, broke out in China, which was a really big deal. Um, For those that don't know, African swine fever is a highly contagious and deadly viral disease affecting both domestic and wild pigs of all ages. Shortened or ASF is not a threat to human health, but it can be transmitted from pig to human. Um, It's not a food safety issue. That definition is from the USDA.gov website. But recently, uh, there's been a mutation, which is not a good thing because we don't even really have a vaccination for it. Um, Luckily, it hasn't been in the U.S. If it did, that would be detrimental. Was Was the vaccine developed in China then, I'm assuming? So the article that I read, so the vaccine has not been approved yet. Obviously, they're trying to take steps to making this vaccine better, but they just haven't been able to get there because, again, like it we're trying got to put work. on the back burner because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but we don't get a lot of information from China, right? Yes. So the U.S. is trying to make their own because if it does come to the U.S., again, it would be really bad for our economy. But last year, they, like, made several vaccines, which, you know... Like trial vaccines? Yeah. Yeah. 
and they deleted a couple of the genes to like weaken the virus and then like inject it back into the animal. Um, as a result of that research, the team currently licensed four different ASF vaccine candidates to commercial partners for more development. Three of the vaccine candidates have been removed from the federal select agent list, uh, which is a list of agents and toxins that must be worked on to in a facility with the highest level of biosafety. And I think there's only two facilities that like in the U.S. that work or are authorized to work with that biosafety bio level. So yeah, it's a really big thing that we get this vaccine approved because again, China really eats mostly white meats like pork and chicken. And because most of their swine herds, most of their swine herds were depleted because of this, of this bad, <laughs> bad virus. Um, the reason it's so bad is because there's no recovering from it. Like the pig gets sick, they die. There is no... Is it pretty like quick killing then? No. It's basically... So what happens, right? The pig will get like a high fever, decreased appetite, so it's starving, mm -hmm. right? Um, it gets like red blotchy skin, it'll get dehydrated because diarrhea, vomiting, yep. coughing, and difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. So it's not... It's taking a lot of energy and not allowing you to eat at the same time. Right. And these pigs don't have an immunity to it. So then you're having these pigs that a few of them survive, but there's a really low survival rate. So when it gets into one of the facilities in China... It spreads really quickly. It, yeah, it spreads really quickly because um, China doesn't have the biosecurity measures that the U.S. has. Like here, if you go into a hog barn, you're not going to go to another hog barn for at least three months, I think, at most uh, facilities here. Even And that's if they let you on in the buildings. Do they use, like, PPE, like the little foot baggies and, like, protective gear and all of that? I'm assuming it's I believe so, the yes. same over there. Um, so uh, on the topic of PPE and vaccines, um, let's move into talking about biosecurity and other farm safety measures. Um, we have a local expert on it. Agnes has an <laughs> associate's degree in animal science, so she knows a lot about biosecurity. So Agnes, do you want to fill us in a little bit? So I, I wouldn't necessarily call me an expert. I just I have well uh, informed. I, I'm, I've been informed. So the reason biosecurity is really important, right, uh, you'll see it a lot of times in obviously concentrated animal feeding operations because it keeps it so that you can control a disease or an outbreak, right? Like we saw it with the avian flu, right? You saw these chicken houses and other farms, avian farms were having to um, isolate their farms, isolate their trucks, because if that disease got out of that confined area and it got to a new place, it would be really, it would spread really fast. And then at, you know, pig farms, there's also a lot of biosecurity. Like you'll see, um, you can't just go up to the farm and like, hey, I'm on a tour. Um, you have to either, a lot of places, shower in, shower out, which means before you even walk in to where the animals are, you take a shower and you get into a different set of clothes. And then to shower out, you change, take a shower, and then get dressed in the clothes that you came to the building in. And a lot of times, even before you get in that building, you're required to like put on these little booties or like booty nets or whatever you want to call them or wash your boots before you even step in the building. So yeah, 
gloves, respirators, sometimes that stuff is required, or like the disposable aprons. It kind of depends on obviously what type of animal you're working with and what the operation is like, but you might need to use that kind of personal protective equipment that we're so used to with COVID, just going from barn to barn. Right. So with masks, even like working with hay and stuff, like I almost always should wear a mask. Because <laughs> you don't want the dust and the debris, debris and all that getting into your lungs and right. affecting your respiratory system. Right. And, you know, having allergies probably should be smart of me to wear a mask. <laughs> But yeah, even um, I see dairy farms doing it more where they're practicing better biosecurity where it's like, okay, here's your pair of work boots that you only wear on this farm and you don't wear them anywhere else. I know um, a couple of years ago that there was like a pretty bad avian flu that was going around and there was a lot of concerns like during the fair time um, with like mixing birds because obviously all of those birds come from different places and they don't want to spread anything. So there's a big thing about especially like around the state fair as to how they're going to um, manage to be able to bring their obviously chickens, fowl, we have poultry, right. well, and be able to like- them but also be safe and not spread anything to everyone well you even like we i went to the zoo during that time where it was the big outbreak and they took all of their birds off to off display because they didn't want to spread anything. they didn't want to spread anything for the county fair in clay county where i'm from and show for 4-h during the epidemic of the flu our fair board they asked people to take pictures of their animals to submit and then they were based off of that instead of having the farms. I don't know, there was probably like 10 families or so. I come from a small area to bring all their animals into this tiny little barn and have them all together. So that year, I know, we just used photos to judge to keep everyone safe. See, I don't really remember. I'm thinking that it was like yours um, from Cedar County, which is also a, a relatively small area. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Like you could take a picture and then submit it that way but um going more into like the farm safety side um that's usually where you get more of the ppe which is personal protection equipment you know masks safety glasses boots or hard sole shoes coveralls hats helmets hard hats Um, that's what i meant by helmets not not wearing baggy clothing like just being safe for what we think common sense of what we wear to the farm might not be what people think like (laughs) if you have long hair as a woman or even as a man to put in a ponytail behind your neck and tuck it in keep it out of the way anything like if you're wearing a button down to have your arms buttoned like at your wrists so you don't um, have anything like loose that can be pulled or sucked into yeah, something right. is basically well, the idea even thinking in winter it gets pretty slick um especially if there's mud underneath and wearing ice picks or even just wearing a really good boot that has a lot of traction on it goes a long way especially when you're we're all like bundled up in our big overalls and big coats you'll even see a lot of people just wearing like a hoodie or something on top of like overalls or underneath overalls just because it's safer than having a big puffy coat because <laughs> then it that kind of reminds me of like have you seen a christmas story where the little kid randy is like all bundled up and then he falls and then he like is screaming because he can't get up <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the whole point of it is like you want to be safe so if something were to happen you can recover yourself instead of having to just lay there until someone come fi- comes and finds you and i mean sometimes you're lucky if the next person comes within the next three hours well and especially um in winter 
it's really important to wear boots that have traction because if for whatever reason you were to fall or slide and uh, a bale rolls on you or something, it, it could be life-taking if you end up under a bale, and especially a one-ton bale. And, like, obviously that's not the only reason accidents happen, like equipment on roads and stuff. Especially, like, during harvest season and you see a combine or a tractor pulling something on the highway, don't crowd them um, because you're not going to win in your car. <laughs> it It's not smart to try and cut somebody off. It gets, I get it, it gets frustrating. I've been stuck behind a tractor before. You're going 15 miles an hour on the highway, and you're like super annoyed. I get it. But be smart. Um... <laughs> Especially if it's a tractor. It, think of it like a semi. It's not going to stop on a dime. It, it needs time to slow down. Mm -hmm. And tractors aren't allowed to go fast. Yeah. Like Especially <laughs> if they're going that slow, they're probably going to turn soon anyway. So just keep your distance. And people that take the highway with their farm equipment, it's usually the last resort. Most farmers in my area stick to gravel roads. And the highway is the last resort because either A, their equipment's too big, or B, they're moving multiple machinery. And Well, a lot of the, I, I'm pretty sure, I, I'm trying to think back on my education from a couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure it's illegal for farm equipment to be on the highway for longer than so many miles. Mm -hmm. Just because, again, it, it holds up traffic because you're going 15 to 20 on a highway. But there's, there's, it's just, there's so many accidents that happen that could have been prevented if you just thought before you did something. Because mm -hmm. I know uh, a while ago, it was a long time ago, my dad was on the country road and he was pulling some, I think it was a bale mover on the tractor. And he, he was fine. Nothing happened to him, but a car tried to cut him off and the car lost its wheel <laughs> because he tried to pass my dad on a country road and didn't look around it's, the tractor. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to pass on gravel roads anyway. <laughs> no one follows that. Yeah, no one follows well, that. Well, I mean, I do, but I will, like, I'll do it, but I'll wait until somebody waves me to do it. Like, I won't just do it. Like, oh, Unless yeah. they're, like, pulling over and see me and they're, like, go around, then I will definitely go around because I trust you. Like, yeah. that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, of course. No I'm not gonna... just going to blaze around you going 65 on a gravel road. Like, first <laughs> right. of all, I don't know that someone's not coming because I probably can't see around you. Right. And B, I don't want to get in your way because my little sedan is not going to last against <laughs> your, you know, ton of equipment that you got. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and I get, like, country roads are a bit different. Usually you don't meet anyone that you need to pass unless it's equipment mm -hmm. or you know somebody on a horse or something but um yeah it it amazes me how i understand being in like um a rush but it's also it's like it, they're just trying to do their job yeah we're just doing our job trying and they get frustrated too. Like again, they're on a highway going twenty miles an hour. They don't want to be they, on that highway. No going one, no one wants hour. to be on a tractor following a straight line going twenty miles an hour, being honked at and being passed with angry people. But yeah, so it's just 
just be cautious. Like, have some... Have some dignity. Yeah, respect respect for other people, respect for what they're doing, and just be aware that you're not you're not the main character you're not the only person (laughs) in the world (laughs) um well in like farm safety it doesn't only it's not only on the road like farmers we're having to uh watch what we're doing constantly like we were saying with baggy clothing it is so dangerous to wear baggy clothing around equipment you can be caught in an auger Mm -hmm. or a pto PTO so fast and you can lose a limb or your life just because of, not, like, not even thinking about it, which is usually the problem, not thinking about what could happen. But when you're used to it every day, like, I, I've done stuff where I think back and I'm like, huh, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. Because, I mean, you never expect anything's going to happen to you. Like, you hear stories and you're like, oh, you know, that'll never happen to me. And then someday it does. So it's just a matter of, like, thinking about the prevention and may not seem likely but it could happen is the thing so well and like um i've had to take a farm safety class before and you think about it and like one of the leading reasons for accidents on the farm is either a young people not knowing what they're doing and not being properly trained in what you're having them do mm-hmm. or even just little kids running around on the farm and you're not aware that they're there so dangerous make your kid aware of equipment how dangerous it is and, and be supervising them at all times especially if they're around animals or big equipment because kids will try anything and they will get hurt doing it <laughs> yes well even having them not wear clothing that blends into the environment like if your kid wants to wear a green shirt in the middle of springtime fine but maybe make them wear a vest or like a little hat or something or a hat yeah and then the leading cause for adult accidents is just pure mindlessness basically Mm -hmm. because like especially during certain seasons farmers are put at a higher um, emotional toll and they're more tired and you're thinking about 50 different things and you're probably frustrated because half of those problems are machinery related problems (laughs) the other half is people and stupidity the other (laughs) half is people and you just forget about what you're currently doing and accidents happen it just gets lost in the shuffle yeah even just like being smart while handling um like going into a corn bin wear a mask wear a mask wear a harness if you're walking in there to do whatever and especially another big thing is let people know where you are or text somebody just like have people know where you're at in case something does like 24 happen. 24 hours yeah. a day. So that if you're late to a meeting or you're late to dinner or something's going on, someone has an idea of where you are and what you're doing so they can get you help ASAP if something has happened to you. Because that's really scary. Like, it's like even comparing it to like when you're a little kid and mom says she's going to be home at 5 and then it's 5.15 and mom's still not home and you're kind of having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing because we don't know what happened if you're in an accident, if you're okay, if you're just running late. So just being able to keep in touch, I think, is a really important thing. And that's the nice thing about having cell phones and technology is it allows you to to keep in touch really easily and keep everyone updated as to what's going on. I know a lot of my family friends back home use Life360 to track their family. And one of my best friends, her her dad, uh, they watch and see make sure he gets home at night and like oh this person's pulling into the driveway 
oh, this person left this house at this time and should be home at this time, you know, in case of any emergency that may arise. Or even, like, Snapchat maps. Like, yeah. if my roommate doesn't check in with me, I'll make sure she made it back. Like, yeah. I'm on ghost mode for that. Cause <laughs> well, yeah. Obvious it's understandable. Reasons. But that's why, like Claire said, I really think everybody that works on a farm should either have a walkie-talkie mm-hmm. or a phone. Some way to contact someone. Yeah. yeah. And I think phones are a really good thing, but if you're in an area, which a lot of areas in the rural there's community... There's no signal. D- no there's no signal. And so that's why I think walkie-talkies are a good option, mm-hmm. too. Especially because you can just click a button and you're like, hey, you know, I need your help right now. And instead then of, the other know, thing is dialing. you can also scroll channels, so if for some reason, someone's not answering on another channel. You can, like, just try to reach out right. to anybody. Right. Well, and I think um, even Apple Watches now or, like, um, your smart watches where you can call off of them, I think that's really helpful, too, especially if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you can't, like, you left your phone in the cab of the truck or tractor. Then you have something on you that you can still call. And a lot of tra- tractors and the older generation still use CB radios. Yeah. To- yeah. I know we had one. Well, and that's on cab tractors. So. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a cab tractor. <laughs> we were lucky enough. We used a cab tractor for uh, in the field, but my dad collects antiques. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we have a cab tractor now, but like growing up, we we only had one and we didn't really use it that much just because the AC didn't work. So, you were sitting in a baking box, <laughs> which... Open cab is pretty dangerous still, too, but either cat, either way, it can be dangerous. Just, you know, equipment, which if you if you drove equipment, you know how dangerous it can be without even thinking about it. But it's also that you realize those uh, safety concerns and then you ignore them. And it's like, mm, no. <laughs> and then they're like, whose fault is it when that accident actually yeah. does happen after ignoring obvious signs signs that this is wrong but i'm ignoring it well you know accident happened yeah well i think too (laughs) just like knowing my family we just put up with something until it's like well it's not broken so if it's not broken don't fix it yeah but then it's like well i mean it's technically not broken so technically and it's like, nah, maybe get that mindset out of but here. Especially when, like, if something's broken, it compromises the integrity of the equipment and it could potentially exactly. be extremely dangerous. That's when you need to get it checked out or replaced or fixed or just stop using it before you check with somebody because you, you know what I mean? You don't want to, you don't want to be responsible for that accident. You don't want to have that, you on know, your on your conscience. Yeah. Because yeah, that's a, that's a big responsibility to know that. If you would have done something, you could have prevented that. So on the point of farm safety, and we were talking about fires earlier, uh, my family went through at least three Vermeer round balers because of fire. One or two of them, I think, the fire started inside because the bearings got worn down. Yeah. And they sparked a fire, and which caught in with the bale inside of it. And then, of course, it's almost a complete bale, and it just blew up in flames match and you you can't put that out you just gotta let it burn and then another one i know it was parked behind the house and i think we were done for the season 
and it was still warm and then it caught fire because of just some of the dry hay in there left over from the season. We had a baler. Um, it didn't catch on fire, but it, it started to smoke because the hay got wrapped around the... I don't know my terms correctly, so I just call it what I do. <laughs> but if you've ever seen a round baler on the top, on the back, um, there's a roller bar where the belts are hooked to, and it the hay got hooked on that, and it started spinning underneath the belt, which causes a lot of friction. Mm-hmm. And when your hay is really dry, when um, you're baling it, it catches fire really easily, and it started to smoke, and luckily we were um, close enough to a um, water hydrant with a hose that we were able to cool it off, and then we were done for the day because we're like, eh, it's obviously the hay's too dry, so... And then again, like, the difference between, like, hot spots and faulty equipment and, like, controlled burns. Because um, controlled burns are really good for the environment. They're a good thing. They're under control. <laughs> yeah. And that's a lot different from, like, a grass fire because who knows what all that's going to destroy. And it's probably not where it's meant to be. And Right. And even for controlled burns, you have to have a permit. Yeah. That's, that's what makes the control in it. And also, you're yeah. probably going to have... People watching People it. on call or, like, the fire marshal there to observe it and watch it. You know what yeah. I mean? Just to make sure mm-hmm. just make sure it stays under control. Well, especially, like, you see a lot of controlled burnings in um, fall, like, late fall after everybody's out of their fields. And they're baling hay or they're doing their last baling. And it's usually during the time where it's the hottest and most dry, even though, you know, falls around here can get pretty wet. Mm-hmm. but um, just someone smoking a cigarette and throwing it out into um, the dish. dish, it's so bad. Because it, like if somebody has bales lined up against that fence line or by the ditch... Or even if the grass on uh, the ditch is dry. Which usually they are, because like you don't cut throughout the season the ditch. Usually, I mean, you'll cut close to the road, but you won't cut close to the field Mm -hmm. and you have like a season's worth of grass there and half of it's dead especially especially really shallow ditches because those don't collect water Mm -hmm. so yeah stay dry well yeah and i know last fall around here there was a couple of bale fires just because they had a hot spot in one Mm -hmm. of them and someone lost a lot of hay crop yeah yeah, controlled burns, to your point, can be uh, effective like in reducing insect population, um, invasive plants. Uh, it can rejuvenate a space with like dead trees. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps the soil gain nutrients. As yeah, well. yep. You're creating, After. you're getting rid of the rubbish, if you will, and you're leaving behind minerals, which yep. is really good for the soil. But it's a way of putting minerals back into the soil without additives or chemicals or like anything else. Just well, a yeah. natural way. And it's really important to not do it on windy days. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially if you're saying it's a controlled burn and oof. Some controlled burns become out of control because of people that really aren't either quickly. a paying attention or the wind changes direction well even just the wind picking up i mean it's nebraska it's the midwest the wind can go zero to 20 within a couple of hours yeah 
It so, fluctuates so much. Mm-hmm. Having somebody there at all times, which you should, it's a controlled fire. There should be at least two to three people there mm-hmm. with cell phones. <laughs> and but, water on standby. And, and water on standby. Because you're obviously not wanting to burn your neighbor's field, too. So you're obviously watching the your uh, field lines. I know, I know a lot of just like schools around my area, and I'm sure you guys is too, um, just had like farm safety days Yep. where we would have either someone come in and talk to us or it would be part of FFA week where we could discuss how to be safe, what equipment we need, kind of the procedures for what happens in an accident. So I know that's really important because it kind of, like to Agnes's point, having little kids around, it kind of helps instill in their minds no, you can't do that because something bad will happen to you. And it kind of makes them cautious and aware that even from a young age that things can go wrong and do go wrong. And it also kind of adds to making them feel safe by like, yes, things are bad, things can go wrong, but you can also be safe about it. And I think that's a really good way and a good place to start that conversation is in schools. Yeah, for our my high school FFA, we put on a farm safety day for the elementary kids in the middle school because we're all connected. It's all in the same building. And so we would have farm equipment, uh, livestock. We did workshop safety, PPE, um, and like welding in our gotcha. uh, yeah. workshop and behind the school. And then we also had the um, Nebraska Public Power Out um, every other year. And they would always do their demonstration with the hot dog on a stick. And then you would touch the two lines together and uh, the currency would flow through it. And then they're like, this is what your finger would be if you touched both lines. We did. It was farm safety week. Like at the end of the week, we'd have like the demonstrations like you did. But um, like throughout the week, like you had a coloring contest that the little kids could color a picture. And then at the end of the week, we'd pick the best ones. And then, um, like, throughout the week, a teacher would take time out of their class schedule and talk about, like, hey, here's what not to do or here's what to do. And, like, if someone's on fire, like, you mm-hmm. learn, stop, drop, and roll. Yep. But we would always have, like, the hot dog, but with an auger. Like, you'd put the hot dog on a stick and then they would be like, this is why you don't put your hand near sharp items. And then you just watch this hot dog get cut in half. I have to say I'm kind of jealous of the hot dog demonstrations. <laughs> I never saw that, but it sounds very interesting. <laughs> we also did, um, we crushed a watermelon with hydraulic press wagons. We also did uh, a little person in a bin being covered with corn yeah we had that for um suffocation demonstrations um and safety we had the ambulance come they would show like this is how a person would be strapped onto a board and taken into the ambulance and everything we had a haggy i know the last year or two we had drone safety because it was a new thing in our area that local chemical and pesticide company uh in my area let us use their drone for some safety procedures. So just, again, those demonstrations really help kind of visualize what can go wrong. Well, even I know there's a lot of like 4-H programs that they do farm safety days, and I really encourage you to let your kids go to them. Like it might be annoying uh, for the first couple, you know, days with your kid out back on the farm and they're like, you know, you're not supposed to do that. That's dangerous. But it's a good reminder for adults 
too, mm-hmm. to be like, hey, be aware of your surroundings. You're being, you're setting examples for children. Mm-hmm. You're not just trying to get a job done. You're trying to teach the next generation how to farm safely. I'm kind of, it kind of surprises me that we all are familiar with like the farm safety curriculum, but maybe people who live in like bigger cities and schools don't have any ag curriculum period, let alone farm safety, which obviously it's not as applicable to them, but still there should be a common knowledge of like, yes, there's other jobs that are dangerous, but farming is not at all like a safe, cushy job. There's a huge amount of risk that comes into it. Well, and I think people forget that too. It's a really dangerous profession, but people forget that it is because like most people, they they go to the store and that's as close as they get to agriculture. Mm Mm-hmm. And like you said, like it's so far removed in some of those um, larger cities where they don't even have an agriculture class, mm-hmm. which is such a foreign concept to me. Because even like people who go to like um, Yellowstone National Park and like try to approach the animals and stuff on farm safety days, you learn that you do not approach animals from the back because they are they aren't cool with that. They are going to hurt you because that's a red flag danger signal for them. And these people, you hear about these people getting injured at like these national parks because they're just walking up to animals like it's their neighbor's dog. And it's like, that is not how you approach an animal that you don't know. And like, yes, farm animals are somewhat domesticated, but they still have those instincts that throw up red flags that will get you hurt if you don't respect that. Right. I've been pinned against a barn door before by a billy goat, and it's it can be scary. I wasn't scared. I was old enough at the time to know what to do in that situation, and I wasn't being injured because it wasn't just the billy goat hitting me. Like, I was prepared for it. I was braced for it, and I was able to, like, deflect most of the anger, if you will, toward me. But it's still a situation that if someone was else was in that situation that didn't know how to handle it handle it it would have ended completely different and somebody could have gotten seriously injured especially if it's not just a billy goat that weighs yeah i know my dad works with cattle a lot and there was a situation where he got pinned up it it was either against the fence or the wall he had a huge bruise like over his like whole side it was from his shoulder on his arm on his ribs and it was huge and it was purple and green and it was hurting him for a lot of time which obviously he didn't do it on purpose it was an accident there was there's those situations that sometimes accidents happen but still it's kind of a reminder that these animals they're they're not just cute and petsy you know you gotta respect them well and like i've like i was kicked by a calf before like a small animal and it left a bruise they're strong (laughs) they got muscle on them now imagine being kicked by a full-grown one it will break horse horses right horses will mess you up well anything that outweighs you will certainly do a number on you if they want to Mm -hmm. and even smaller animals they will still do damage i'm not saying they won't but Mm -hmm. you need to be aware of your surroundings on a farm because Again, we were talking about machinery, but livestock are a different level mm-hmm. because they're less sure, predictable. Yeah. Well, they're, and it's like there's less that you can do to be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. I can I can prevent this from equipment because it's broken. 
But then animals, it's like I have no control over you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's like or your decision making ability. <laughs> well, it's like they can flip a switch and it changes their entire personality. Mm-hmm. Like even um, like you can have a pregnant cow and be absolutely fine but as soon as that calf hits the ground or it's born that mama instinct is gonna kick in times a hundred and you're not gonna get near that puppy without making mama really mad yeah it's crazy to like and to us it's just like common knowledge from you get told hey don't do that Mm -hmm. you could get hurt and then experiencing it because you didn't listen the first time and experience (laughs) Not that I would know. You no. don't. You don't learn through. You don't learn <laughs> learn through words. You learn through experience. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then experiencing it, and then learning from it, and then the process repeats. You just stuck someone that's never been around agriculture, and you stuck them near a fence, and you said, "Here you go. Here's an animal. Go on." Most people are like they see a cute cow on the internet and they're like oh it looks like a puppy and it's like that puppy will kick you into next week <laughs> if you are like have you seen place. those those were the cows like laying on their lap that cow is probably extremely used to that person and is extremely comfortable with them otherwise that would right. never happen so just thinking that all cows are very domesticated and will just walk up to you and like lick your hand and want to lay on you is not (laughs) like not it that's not at all what happens hate to break it to you well sorry to hurt your romanticized fairy tale of farm life (laughs) but that that cow and that person have probably been together for quite a few quite a while at least well and there is a difference between breeds too um like when you look from dairy cattle that are being handled every single day Mm -hmm. to beef cattle who are put out on pasture who will maybe see a human yeah once once a week it's kind of the socialization level yeah well it's like if you took a dog it's Mm -hmm. the same concept if that dog hasn't been around humans it's it's not gonna trust you even babies though like if you have babies, or like, if a baby grows up more, like, around their dad than their mom, they're probably going to want to go into uncle's arms more than they're want to go to auntie's arms because they're used to having, seeing a man's face. You know what I mean? It's well, the yeah. same thing. Well, and it, well, it comes down to, like, what you're most comfortable with, what that animal is most comfortable with. Whitney, Whitney do, you have any, Whitney's do you have any livestock there. stories for us? <laughs> yes, it's called BBB. BBB? BBB, Bruised Butt Brigade. (laughs) (laughs) My family started with uh, calf operation, bottle calves, and it was one winter morning taking out two full (laughs) five-gallon buckets of milk. Slippery steps. You can fill in the picture. I've I've done that carrying um, hot water because our automatic waterers froze one winter because it was a winter where we got down to, you know, negative... 20s or something i don't know we were Alex close today <laughs> it was only what negative five today That's no it was negative 15, 15 with wind oh, chill geez well guess what our, check our, the weather agnes i'm sorry stay informed well i learned uh that today our heater in our well house went out so yeah our uh, water froze to our livestock oh no so uh my dad had to Put a new heater in today, which getting into our well house isn't exactly the easiest thing. And then being like, oh, let's make it freezing. But yeah, everything's good now. But still, 
but like carrying two five gallon buckets up a set of stairs with wet boots on on wooden stairs and you just you're going down you're going down again traction is very important in the winter time <laughs> it is just to reiterate that point from earlier yep and back to claire's point with domesticating animals we played with our calves and were very friendly. And then as they grew up, we stopped bottle feeding them. And then they'd still want to be, you know, petted. And they got to the point we didn't uh, cut off their horns. And so they'd come up to us. And all you see is this gigantic calf running at you. They think it's playful. You do not. So we would run for the gate, climb up as fast as we could without being a shish kebab. <laughs> Well, especially with, like, goats and stuff, uh, baby calf bulls, mm -hmm. I would assume it was it would be the same, but you don't touch their head, um, specifically where their horns are, just because it makes them want to butt their head, because yeah. they think you're playing, but when that animal And how becomes, they play with each other yeah. is by headbutting. Right. That's how they play with each other, so they assume that that's how they want you to play with them. Right, and that is so... Awful. <laughs> because when that animal outgrows you, it thinks, I'm going to go play with this thing because I've played with them before and now they outweigh you and can do damage to you. I've seen a lot of people put like pool noodles on their baby goats <laughs> so they don't like hurt each other as bad. Well, and they're just adorable. so cute because they have like these bright little colored noodles on their Well, heads. a lot of times they'll put um, pool noodles on their horns because they get their head stuck in fences. Yeah. <laughs> and so that prevents them. So we had a goat um, that kept getting its head stuck and we keep all of our goats with horns. We don't pull them or anything mm -hmm. just because we've never felt, felt the, need. the need to. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> she kept getting her head stuck and like if they do keep getting their head stuck usually we'll like clip their horns so it's easier for them to like get in and out but this one it, i was home by myself and i'm like i'm going out every hour to get this goat's head unstuck that like they have plenty of feed in the pen but the grass is greener on the other side and so i just took a stick and i uh taped it between their horns like together so that it, there wasn't a space between their horns to get their head through the fence and I'm like you know what it it works for now but yeah uh, and then we put up electric fence and solved most of the problems <laughs> yeah to that point we my grandparents <laughs> on my mom's side so her parents have had calves with a broken leg so they'll you they'll cut pvc pipe in half and then like duct tape it to make like a little splint and it's worked numerous times. It's Farmers are so innovative. Well, we'll do anything to not pay an expensive vet bill. You can fix yeah, anything. anything. You can fix anything with duct tape. If you, if you can't <laughs> fix it with duct tape, you're not using enough. <laughs> or you didn't. You need to use WD-40. Oh, that yeah, that's <laughs> another one. Yeah. The saying goes, if it's stuck and it's not supposed to use WD-40, if it's... Uh, if it's not, not stuck, stuck and it's supposed to be used duct tape. <laughs> and we use Gorilla Tape, which is like 10 times stronger than duct oh, tape. Oh, we don't. Well, aren't you cool? God, we yeah. Use, we, use, um, <laughs> we use baling twine. <laughs> we do, too. It's a staple in any farmer's truck. Baling twine, duct tape, WD-40. And it's not even just like farm equipment. I remember I had a brace for my leg after one of my surgeries and... 
there was like a pad on it that came off and it was right on my ankle so I really needed it because <laughs> otherwise it hurt yeah so my dad like cuts out part of a koozie like in the shape of a pad and just like tapes it on there really good and it I mean it worked it was still on there today so well going back to like a broken leg we've had goats that you know try and jump a fence get their leg caught and break it but more sp- the one I remember the most was after a tornado. We had goats on the place, and the tornado wiped the place out. And we're lucky that all of our goats survived the tornado, but, you know, after effects, uh, I think we ended up only being able to save a, a quarter of them. Mm-hmm. But this one goat, she broke her leg, and it, like, uh, it was a mess, but it broke clean through. And we're like, we don't know what to do because the vets are, like, busy. everywhere. They're busy. They're, you know trying to help farmers with their cattle and everything and so we're like you know what we got this we're gonna try it you know and if we have to put her down then we have to put her down but she was a bottle baby so I was really yeah she was my favorite goat you know and yeah we ended up she ended up we thought about amputation but it was her back leg which would not have been ideal for a goat Mm -hmm. but yeah it ended up healing after I had to take care of it for you know, dead of July and ugh, it's big, hot and it's gross. awful. And then it's like you're sweaty trying to rewrap this leg and everything. But yeah, she ended up uh, with a good leg. I mean, she it took her a little bit to start using it again, but she started using it and lived to be a good old age. Sometimes you just have to kind of think outside the box, especially during like natural disasters and stuff where there's a lot of things going on. You kind of have to prioritize and think of like where am I needed most? What, you know what I mean? What action can I take that's going to do the most good rather than wasting your time on something that's maybe not going to help you in the long run. And I think, I think um, also the ad community has a lot of creative problem solving that we've been talking about. That's (laughs) definitely a, a huge asset if you're going into agriculture is to be a not only a problem solver but a creative one because not every solution has one answer to it and not every problem even has a good solution so you just have to kind of figure out <laughs> right. what works. Well and I, I will also add that if at any point I thought she would have suffered I would have taken the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like we had a llama that also went through the tornado and we had to make the decision to put her down. And it's, I think people forget that it's a hard decision for a farmer to put down an animal. It, it's not an easy decision to come to, especially if you're working with those animals every single day. It's, it can be heartbreaking to make the right call. Because then again, like you, you really care about them because they're a huge part of your life at that point and you don't want to see them suffer at all. Right. So, I mean, as much as you want them to get better, sometimes that's just not an option. Well, and it, yeah, like you said, and it's not plausible. It's not possible for them to get better. Mm-hmm. And you have to choose and say, you know, this I've tried best. and this is what's, the better option. So, anybody have any last comments on farm safety, biosecurity, any last stories to tell? There's plenty of stories to go around, but... <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. It depends how much... Uh, <laughs> how much time do you guys got? <laughs> yeah. 
We can we can keep talking about the dangerous things I've done in my. We only have an hour, youth. and I want to stress that you should follow OSHA <laughs> guidelines. They are there for a reason. You should follow the laws and regulations and guidelines that are in place because they are in place well, to keep you safe. Well, also just you know following the instructions and in, in a manual. Yes, that too. That too. No one reads Making, the manuals anymore, and that, I true. think that's something to be said about our society. Like, take the time to read the instructions. Like, don't hop into something new that you don't know anything about without having some background knowledge. Like, do your your research. Do do your reading. Yeah. It's there for a reason. Uh, They made that big old handbook for a reason. (laughs) Somebody wasted a lot of their life doing that for you, for you to just toss it aside. And most of the time, there's videos that you can watch if you don't want to read. Yeah, go to YouTube. (laughs) Well, and also it's, you know, be smart, make wise decisions. Don't jump into something if you know it can be dangerous. And along with that, like, make sure to educate others while you're doing it, too. Like, if you have little kids around you or people, like, shadowing you, tell them what you're doing, but also explain why you do it that certain way, because that goes a long way. Exactly. Like, yeah, don't tell someone, like, don't do that. Explain why. Explain it and be like, hey, we aren't going to do that because you could be hurt. Mm-hmm. Or put in danger, which is really important because I'm going to listen to something that tells me why not to do something than somebody just telling me don't know. It's like, <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like your mom's like, because I said so. Like, that's not an answer. Come yeah, on now. Mom. I want the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom. <laughs> Or even dad, I guess it's more dad. <laughs> I played the fifth. I pl- oh, uh-huh. All right. Weren't you like an older child? <laughs> She's the middle child the middle because child. she doesn't yeah. stop talking about it. <laughs> Don't you know that? <laughs> We've been friends for how long? Don't answer that. Like a semester Couple and a half. Couple months. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a semester and a half. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to be the end of this week's podcast. Tune in next week. Uh, We're going to be talking with Bob Noonan, a professor at Northeast Community College, and we talk about cover crops. We talk about cover crops and the benefits of cover crops. So make sure to tune in next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 6 p.m. for more Ag Knowledge. Listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on thecat.wsc.edu. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Solo Acoustic Guitar by Jason Shaw, found on freemusicarchive.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.